Are we going to do an official start? <laughs> no. Uh, no, okay. <laughs> no one, right. Maybe that was to, it. Maybe that was it. It's the beginning, yeah. I think that might so, have been it. This is the index of this edition of the podcast we don't have a name for yet. Um, the idea is that we, you, know, you and I shoot the shit and then talk about What if about we just called it Changelog? Is that we, There's already... There's is already, there like, uh, there's probably like a million... Yeah. No, Win Netherland, uh, GitHub, oh, yeah, there you go. GitHub uh, changelog. Yeah. yeah, it's a good name. It's a good name. Uh, uh, we can find something. Dropping e- logs. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I, you made me uh, peek. I peeked. I just pooped in my uh, Apple Taylor Swift. So uh, so much second, about that. Third topic Taylor Swift. Yeah. yeah, of course. That's that's right. only fair. No, 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 no. Put it back there. He deleted I mean, Taylor Swift from the uh, from the items to discuss. No, no, no. We have to. I just, uh, I think more I want to discuss how ungoogleable they could have, like, that, oh man. This sounds yeah, weird. that's not very really professional. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed this was an iPhone notification. And then super brief, like, super swiftly and discreetly, I just, I just put do not disturb on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Although I never have ping or any ringtone or anything, because I'm not that guy. I, that was okay. literally, the, that was the iOS 8 device that I just installed that somehow got a text. Let's talk about change logs really quick. Yeah, okay, let's talk when about change logs. you use what is your your stack, your usual stack? Tell me your usual stack. I don't mean your pants. I mean what you <laughs> use for development. <laughs> Do you mean like languages or tools or what? Languages, tools, everything. Uh, all right. So you're still sharing your screen to me, by the way. Yeah, it's fun. See, you okay. see how you see how I think. I don't know. <laughs> all right. So usual stack, uh, Sublime Text right now. Didn't switch to Atom yet. Sorry, everybody. Don't do it. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I'm not super interested in checking it out right now, to be honest. Uh, Sublime fun. text. Okay. Um, I don't really know how else you want to go. I mean, we're normally oh, PHP based. Mm-hmm. Most of what I do is PHP based now. Between Laravel and Craft, Craft is a CMS that uh, I love, so I use that for anything. You that's can't like, shut up about. I love Craft, dude. It's it's He's amazing. On Twitter all the time. I know. Well, it's great. It's crafts craft dash cms dot com. That's how much I've, I don't think I've it's heard dash. you talk about it. I think it's just craftcms dot com. I think you're wrong. Craft. No, I'm right because I use it every day. But oh, craft they is great. redirect yeah. to it, so to you're wrong. Craft, yeah. It goes to build with Craft. Oh, that's kind of cool. That's yeah. that's like a crafty URL. But <laughs> Craft is the first CMS that I used, and it was like finally. Like, finally, this is the way I want to use things. Um, nice. Laravel I use for any other stuff that's not CMS-y, so any, like, hand-coded applications or anything like that. Um, it's like the modern PHP mm-hmm. framework that everyone loves. Um, I don't really know where you want me to take this in terms well, like, of changelog, okay. but... It, okay, so, I'm pushing normally to GitHub, mm-hmm. um, though we use Beanstalk pretty heavily at HappyCog. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly for their deployment kind of stuff, and they have some new things coming out soon that um is going to be really awesome. But they're right actually; Secrets. their office is right around the corner from my apartment here. Ah, that's why. Um, so normally pushing to either one of those, it's like, and it's like proximity nepotism. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> kind of. Um, change log wise, we normally push that stuff into GitHub, mm-hmm. um, and we've been working on some little ways to pull that out and style it and all that, but. We like to keep change logs going for client projects um, because it helps us write posts to the client about what's been changing oh, easier. Nice. Um, so we kind of collect it all in there as we go. Hmm. That's but, that's interesting. I, I've actually rarely heard that. Like people have updates <coughs> and like or like for the the Envy Labs people, so the the consultancy that my company uh, originates from. That's a weird sentence. I work at Code School, so oh, you. I guess that's interesting. 
So you're happy cog. I'm good school. Yeah, people, and, whoever's listening will figure it out. Right. And then uh, the they use uh, screencasts heavily. They've always like done yeah. pretty much week, weekly or bi-weekly, oh, not bi-weekly, tw- twice a month screencast uh, of, oh, we finished this feature, this is how <clears> it works. <throat> but I guess it's co- a different purpose than uh, ChangeLog because the ChangeLog is more like continuous, really easy to glance. Yeah. That's what I love about it. I don't know. It. I mean, we use we use screencasts for things that are either like if we're doing um cms training for clients and they need to know how to do something in the cms whatever it is we'll do a screencast to show them that um but then we also we'll use screencasts like if something we've built is more interaction heavy so sometimes the first round of like html wireframes or prototypes that we build um if the client isn't you know fully on board with responsive or the ideas of it or aren't up to speed on what that actually means and how it works we'll do screencasts to show off what we're doing how we're doing it why we're doing it and all of that Nice. Um, so, but you know, nothing ever longer than like two minutes, mm-hmm. just a quick thing that they can watch because yeah, it gets a lot more across than a wall of text. Yes. And then the problem is like attention, like people, people didn't like uh, the reason they <clears> do it like that at, at NMV labs is because, uh, clients didn't read any updates that they would send. Like yeah. they, they would yeah. say, okay, this is what we did this week. And then we talk about it the next week and they'd be like the, the what feature and screencast if they're less than three minutes. Uh, generally people are like, oh, this is cool. And they would eventually, like the things that they, they mentioned is that some of the clients took the screencasts and used them as cu- customer-facing documentation. So they just p- put them together and they were like, well, this is how this feature works. Because oh. they, they made them so good, well, like so polished, <clears throat> polished enough, I guess, that you you didn't have to be the client to to understand it. You could be just a customer, which I think is really cool. So yeah, okay. So we're talking about uh, screencasts, like change log and screencasts and stuff like that. The reason I wanted, like, I'm obsessed with change logs currently, and it's been like that for a while. And the reason I'm pushing you to talk about your stack is that there has to be tools that you use beyond just Laravel. Laravel is a good example. Like, what happens when you have to upgrade Laravel? What's your process? Like, if how many times do you have to go back to an application or a legacy application that had an old version of Laravel? or craft and to you had to pull it up to a new version how many times has that happened uh to be honest none so there at least yeah yeah so that's gonna happen and the day it happens to you you will be super happy that there's a change log if there is one totally because you can actually track what's going on and what's changing what you need to change and yet for some reason there's very few open source projects and by that i mean laravel is a good example i guess craft is craft open source or is it just a, uh no just a bait okay but it doesn't really matter even if it's closed source <clears throat> it's super it's super important even if it's not for developers like it baffles me that um people who develop apps for uh money for customers like that sell them directly to customers like on the app store put things like fixed a bunch of fixes like bug fixes like that that even crosses their mind that it's okay to put bug fix as the description of an update that you make people i guess before i was seven that you make people click the button update for to make it the stupid little notification number disappear i love that too because like if if that's literally the only note yeah then like why else would you why out a, a fix or exactly. an update like that's if that's the only note that's exactly why you should wait ringing? for a, for a substantial update. There's a thing called DND. You just no. Whoop. I turned it on. This is, seems to be my first iOS eight bug. <laughs> no, it's uh, oh, oh yeah, I'm just turning the thing off. We'll figure it out later. 
No, but if that's the only note on your on your release notes, then why else would you be pushing out a yeah right? You're not if that's what you're gonna write there, like that always annoyed me. I guess it goes back to uh, to uh, to your uh, I guess web standard stuff, user centered stuff, or yeah, user centered design. If you release an update to an application or any kind of software, and you don't have a really good reason to do that, then don't do that, right? So if you fix a bug, and I had a bug that pissed me off really bad with say iOS that was making my phone ring right at, well, as I'm recording a podcast. And you don't actually explicitly say fix the bug that made the phone ring when it was on do not disturb, then I'll never know you fixed it. So for me in my head, even though maybe I'll notice eventually that it's not doing that anymore, you never give me as a customer, as a user of your software, the satisfaction of being, oh my God, you addressed my problem. And it's the same the same way for, I guess, what I'm talking about, open source stuff. So for whenever you, you'll have to update a Laravel app, You'll have this, this, uh, you'll read about the update. You'll be like, okay, this is why I should update. Maybe it's a security update. That happens a lot. Or it'll be just a feature you want that you don't have in your current version for some reason. Uh, for me, it's, uh, it would be Rails. It would be any, uh, so yeah, I use Rails. I use Ruby. I use Rails. And I use a bunch of open source libraries uh, in the Ruby world called Gems that uh, allow me to have little bits of functionality for free in a way, because I don't want to maintain them. They're uh, extremely security sensitive and I, I'm not uh, constantly upgrading them. So authentication frameworks, generally, this is what you would get. Uh, you get uh, OAuth stuff, um, anything that deals with passwords and user, you know, stuff like that, stuff that you don't want to recreate because you may forget one thing and it may explode in your face. So there's that um, and there's a lot more other things. But when I need to upgrade those, generally... It's terrifying because say say you use somebody, somebody else's software to uh, do OAuth, right? So Anthony added this, uh, this GitHub authentication to this thing that he just showed me, right? Hello? I'm here. I'm just listening to your, you go, man. This is great. No, I was, so you, you added this thing. Oh, this in was it, an but... interactive experience. Right. <laughs> okay. I thought this was more of a, a monologue. I was, I was no, like, no, no, no. Wow, I, I, I was not about this all day. <laughs> No, I I just obsess a lot about things. Okay, I got it. This is interactive. So, I'm, so in. I'm in. Th- this this OAuth integration you put on um on trail ma- trail maps trail, trail mapper map. yeah. trail mapper great name by the way um you it bugged out on me it's not a big deal but it bugged out on me so did you make this yourself or did you use a, a component like a, a third party tool? Uh, Mark dropped it in. I think it was already. I think it was an OAuth library that existed there you already. Go. Yeah. Right. So it there. I forget which one, but. Thing that happens. So, example. I have a perfect example for that. The uh, the charming people at Google are pushing, even though they just said that they wouldn't be doing it anymore. They're pushing Google Plus like down everyone's throat. And I was using for an internal app because I didn't want to make user accounts because user accounts are annoying. You have to make passwords and everything. I was using this Google Auth, uh, Google OAuth authentication flow that kicked people to Google, made them sign in with their work email. So at Envy Labs. And nobody else could sign in, basically. It would say, well, I'm sorry, you're not NVLabs, so you can't sign in. And anybody who had an NVLabs email, boop, they could just sign into the app with nothing. That's all they had to do. Uh, if they had two-factor authentication on their Google app account, it would just make them do that, but that's about it. That's awesome. The problem is that APIs change, uh, and even if the software I'm using is not changing, the Google API that I was that they were using changed. So 
without and if something really weird happened, they pushed out an update to that authentication um, third party library that I was using, and they forgot to mention in the change log which existed that they had uh, changed the way it interacted with the Google API, which means that it was now breaking. And I couldn't tell by reading the change log or even just anything that they had mentioned because they were just doing that ahead of time before Google shut off the old API. So I guess if I had waited three months, nothing would have worked. But when I updated just by being you know safe because I was like, oh, this it's been a while since I've updated this thing and it looks like there's a bunch of bug fixes. So I did the bug fixes, which should not have affected my app. Then this happened. So it, it, it's one of those things that as I go through making security updates to really old apps or just adding you know new features, I've started noticing that people have completely wildly different interpretations of what a change log is or what it means. So this is why I wanted to talk to you about it and make you super long monologues. <laughs> well, the worst, while I wait the for worst you to offender inter- of this is uh, when people think that Publishing the commit logs is a change log. I love you so much right now. I don't know if there's a worse thing to generate a change log from than developer messages when they are at varying levels of frustration and sobriety, probably. Do you? Um, I'm I'm just saying. Yeah. Those are never supposed to be read by anyone but the (laughs) other guy or other girl or whoever it is. Like, no, there is never a time when that should be a public thing that anyone reads. Other than someone who knows the ins and outs, exactly. And so you, you know what's funny is that I have I've tried to, um, I guess, attack in a way because when when it's that thoughtless to me, that's thoughtless. Like there's thoughtful people and thoughtless people. I I think they think they're helping because they they wouldn't do it otherwise. They're, well, they're not like, hey, mean it's something. people. Right. It's well, something. there you go. Well, it turns out, buddy, that if you're on GitHub or Bitbucket. I have a feature I can use to compare this version with that version. Thanks. Like, I, I don't need you to dump that into a text file and be like, hey, hey look, we have one. Or those change log thingies. Um, so, it's just not helpful. It's not, it's no. not, it's not written. The, but the it's, point of commit messages are not written to be helpful like a change log is. It's written to let the others on your project know what you're doing, not right. to let users know why things are important. Okay, so and I feel a... like that is something that is missed in that is that change logs don't just bring changes; they sometimes, mostly, always should bring context. Right. And I feel like that's, you know, it's not the intent. Why of is this useful for you? Right. The intent yeah. of publishing your commit logs as a change log, that's good. The, the intent's there, but the fact that it's contextless, contextless, and often refers to either you know, super nerdy code stuff. Yeah. Or like inside jokes and yeah. things that just don't provide any context to anyone except the team. Yep. So I have to, I'm, I want to use the word unpack because I've heard so many people use that word in serious podcasts that I'm going to say, let me unpack what you just said. This brings an air of, of importance to us. Right. It seems like I know how to think and like make words. Uh, I want to unpack one thing you said. You said uh, the context of a change log is, is different from a, the context of a commit log. Right, basically, it's it, exactly, it doesn't yeah. apply to the same people. So, I, I, so far, I got that right. There, the, I've noticed to just go on to talk about commit logs. So, um, if you're using any versioning system, so like Git here, uh, 
a lot of people learn that on the fly. Like we learned it in school. Like I learned it from a friend and I, I, th- I think I, I showed it to you and then we learned it properly in school or something like that, uh, which doesn't happen to everybody. Everybody mostly have, look, okay, we have to version. Let's start some, and they write whatever. Most people say what they've done in the past tense. They go added authentication because security good, right? Right. Um, and it, over time, you kind of refine the way you make these commit messages. And this is why I, I, I don't disagree with you, but there's a slight different um, thing for me. While I don't make them into changelog items that you could just pick out because that's very hard because you're absolutely right. The context is different. I am, I'm actually not talking to a user. I'm talking the way I write a commit message. I talk to myself. It's like future it's like me. Notes, notes in a bottle to yourself. E- exactly. Message, message in your yeah. bottle. I just sang. Uh, well, um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I I write it down, and most people who read my my commit messages either get a giggle out of it because I'm extremely foul mouthed in my commit messages. Sometimes in my commit um, titles, I guess. I don't even know that. Yeah, titles. <laughs> Uh, I used a lot of profanities and and stuff because sometimes I want to show how angry I am, I am about something. I think that's useful too because you can see how it gives you emotional context too. But also, I'm extremely verbose f- when it needs to be. So when there's a commit that's like tricky and that will probably be very helpful for me later, I find tons of commits from uh, my uh, coworker Nate, who writes really long commit messages when he does something that is potentially hacky. And he knows someone will find this commit by git blaming. And or what is your version of git blaming, Anthony? I don't have a version of git blaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you alias git blaming to something else. Oh, git praise. I don't I don't have that anymore. But I forget no. what I did. For, I don't I don't have it. I haven't used it for years. But no, I forget you were, what I you were used like to. that's way too positive. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I I use I viciously use git blaming. So I was like, mm, who did that? And then the more vicious I am, the more likely it is to be me who made that change. And so I viciously do it. But then sometimes you find that one commit that says, this is why I did it. I, I was under a different kind of stress or a different kind of circumstance that you can imagine right now. Or it was me and I did it because this. And I see it. I'm like, thank you. Yes, that's why. And you're right. That's completely different. But... I strive to make my commits more, more of a, a future me change log in the context of this will break because it's very likely it will break or this is why I decided to do... Exactly, this is why I decided to do this. So generally it's uh, present tense for the commit message title. Uh, it's like add blah, blah, blah because I, I, I think um, Linus Torvalds, uh, Linus Torvalds, <laughs> explained so the creator of git uh explained and linux explained why um he was favoring uh present tense because uh it's it describes something that you're doing i don't know there's a really good explanation somewhere on the internet so i guess we can so look it up it. google it right you know how. google it but it's like uh formatting git commit messages properly and then and then the the rest of the body of the commit message is supposed to be an email it's like if you would email yourself or anybody on your team to explain what you just did, which you sh- it's good, that's how you should write it. You can write it in any tense. It doesn't matter. You I can like make that. As many. Yeah. It's I like great. that. See, but my problem is like, yes, we're writing or change logs for our future selves, but I still think the context is different because your commit logs are 
in the context of you're building this thing yep. versus the changelog is it. you're using this thing or I, implementing this thing. I completely agree with you. So it's yeah. it's there's there is some crossover there, but I feel like but it's you know it's just I don't know it's different levels of disclosure I I guess or oh yeah not definitely. even that but it's like I'm gonna in a commit log I'm going to explain why this is significant to the development of what we're building. In a yes. changelog, I'm going to explain why this is significant in how we're using what we're building. Yep, absolutely. So, I don't know. And just, just by reading yours and reading mine, it, it's generally it's like trying to do what I think App Store developers should be doing. Um, not App Store developers, app developers on the App Store should be doing, which is why should I care? Like if there's any item in a changelog that doesn't answer the question, why should I care? I think it shouldn't be there. Yeah. Like, so this is why I want to go on Trail Mapper and right right now look at how you. So there's many ways of organizing a change log, and generally the the way the basic structure is there's a version number and there's a date, so kind of together, and then there's a list of changes for that version number, and then another version number, a date, more changes and everything. And then um, I've noticed because I've been like kind of researching this and generally by using them. I've noticed varying degrees of, um, you said context, so I guess um, categorizing, right? So you use the the um, uppercase letter, uh, uppercase word bracket convention on every list item that defines what kind of change this is, right? Yeah, you're, you're going to tell it, you know, whether something was added, removed, fixed, right. updated, whatever. There's just some sort of organization to know what, you know, what each item is, make it scannable, I guess. Yeah, so I love that. I think it's really good. The 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 only issue I noted when I was starting to work on that uh, keepachangelog.com website, um, and I think, I don't know if it's inspired by somebody else, a rapporteur. There's this open source um, code school thing we have called rapporteur or rap, rapporteur. No, that? literally no one is going to be able to spell that. Uh, R-A-P-P-O-R-T-U-E-R. R-A-P-P-O-R-T-U-A-R. Ah, I almost said that, that correctly. Well, it's just a thing that allows you to ping a website and get a JSON response to know uh, how long it's been up and uh, uh, revision hash. Oh, so nice. basically, every time you ping the server, you know if it's been modified properly without using the, the unreliable uh, last modified headers in HTTP. And uh, and it can even tell you can even forward some errors like the application database isn't accessible or something like that. That's kind of cool. And the way the, that Nate set up this changelog, uh, Nathaniel Bibler works at NB Labs. He uh, he he has one section. I guess I could just send you that so you can see it. He has that one section on on um, any version. Whenever there's anything that breaks backwards compatibility, first of all, he follows semantic versioning. So if anything breaks backwards compatibility, he bumps the major version by one digit. So if oh, it was nice. 2.1.0, any backward incompatible change is going to make it 3.00 if it's the next one. And then he puts, <laughs> I love that, he puts a little uh, boom uh, A little boom emoji, that's fantastic. Emoji that's to, awesome. So that it's obvious. If you're scanning this, you'll see this boom emoji, which I think is, is the best use of and emojis like I've H2 ever seen. And like H2 or 3 text. Right. So it really right. stands out. Exactly. And it's separated from the rest of the flow. And if you're updating, you'll see, oh shit, I can't update to 3.0. Because obviously it's 3.0, so you should have a fear of a new major version in general because they tend to be, that, that's what semantic versioning defines as a backwards incompatible. The API has changed or features were removed or something like that. 
Uh, so I love that. I love the way he does it. The, the only problem I have with his is that he does, he, 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 he writes fix add sometimes and then update sometimes, and he doesn't uh, denote them as well as uh, Trail Mapper does. My take is different. I use H1 for the, the absolute title of the, the changelog, so you're sort of like recent changes. Mm-hmm. And then I use H2 for both the date, well, actually both the version number and the date, which I put on the same level. Uh, one thing I got from Nate was uh, putting a link. If you uh, if you do that uh, that thing where you put a link uh, on the version number, you can link to the t- the Git tag oh, on wow, GitHub. Look at that. Yeah, That's awesome. V- it shows 2-1-0. all of the difference between the the commits right. of three one and two, or and whatever. it does that automatically. It's really weird. You don't have to do, like that link. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah. No, I've seen it before. If you look at the raw file, I don't even know how it works. I don't understand. So but to explain. If there's a 3.0.0, uh, 3.00 version, and if you put like the markdown style link to v3000, whenever you click on that link on GitHub, it will somehow automatically take you to a comparison between the previous version. I don't yeah, know it how shows, it works. It's, it's using tags. So as you tag things, if you tag them the same as your, your version number. So in this case, um, he has them tagged all v, you know, x dot x dot x. Um, so clicking on that link will take you to a revision history from that tag, you know, the one named exactly as that link is named, to the mm-hmm. previous one. But then look at the raw. I just sent you a link to the raw uh, markdown file. Yeah, the, it's just the it's just a link to the to the one tag. Right. So I don't. There must well, because it just a, does a the previous one. feature. Yeah, yeah it, it must just be does a, the previous tag. Yeah, I think that's what it does. Yeah, you're right. So I love that. I think that's fantastic because if you want that nerdy little commit difference thing where you read all the commit messages because you're super paranoid and you're like what if you did the thing and didn't put in the change log what if you go to failed what'd you say what if you go to failed right (laughs) yeah you can't do that if you use swift apparently Uh, uh, (laughs) i love jumping ahead apparently yeah well yeah all right well i guess we get to this really soon because i'm almost done with uh, with this thing the the difference i have on my take is that uh, i like how uh, HTML documents do organization like I like H1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 and stuff like that. So what I do is within a version number on a change log, I instead of having, see, this is for me it's a simple dry principle, do not repeat yourself. Uh, if you have five added items that all are going to stop start with added then you should have a section called added and nest them all under that. Yeah, and you, you organize it like an outline kind of. Right. Like Basically. this version, so you, added, bunch of these things, updated, right. bunch of these things, fixed, and deprecated, whatever. Do, do you notice this is one of those this is one of those those things that Rails has taught me, the value of empty folders. And here it's the value of empty subheadings. If I have an empty deprecated subheading, that's actually relevant and I put a nothing item in there so that you can tell that I didn't forget to put deprecations in there. I didn't forget to put shit that I removed or stuff that I fixed. It's right. just nothing this to version there has nothing. Thoughtfully. Right. right. And I think that's that's the one repetition I want to have in there. I want you to understand this is not an accident. I thought about it. I think that's it. So yeah, the, the website's kind of in progress. I'm looking for, for people and you specifically because you just mentioned a bunch of uh, projects that do this so like dumping the changelog thing. Uh, yeah, I got a log. list probably somewhere. Anybody, like, I'm on Twitter at Olivier Lacan, super hard to spell, O-L-I-V-I-E-R-L-A-C-A-N. Uh, and then come come at me, <laughs> come at me on Twitter. And come then, at me. Challenge then, you. I right. challenge you to show me a commit log that works as a change log. Right. Exa- no, you can't. Just no, there's no, no, it's not even useful. <laughs> don't even try. All right, let's talk about Swift. 
Yeah, so mm. Swift is pretty cool. Do you see this coming? Uh, no, not Do even a little s- bit. No, I, I mean, people have been talking about it for years, right? That, like, oh, Objective-C sucks, all this, and... Yeah, I, I didn't think know, they I would just, do it. It felt so ingrained in what, in what we were doing that, you know, it seemed like almost out of the realm of question. But That's the very so, reason so, why yeah, I Swift was is so... Swift and Apple created a new uh, programming language for <laughs> iOS <laughs> development, and Mac, yep. I guess Mac, too. Yep. Um, so they're basically getting rid of Objective-C, though right now it looks like um, you can run Swift and Objective-C code in the same uh, application. So they, cause, because they all compile down to, you know, the bi- same binaries and all that. They can run side by side, but I would imagine in like two years, uh, Objective C is gone entirely, which is kind of crazy. But yeah, it's it's really interesting because it's it's my dream. It looks <laughs> nothing like Objective C right now. I mean, obviously, it's got similar structures in that, um, and this is all not NDA, so we can talk about this. Anything that's in the keynote, we can talk about, right? I don't know. Yes, yes, yes. And then, yes, yes. but anything after that, we can't technically. Uh, I th- no, it's on iBooks. It's not NDA. It's on iBooks. Oh, Swift is, but I meant yeah. anything that was in that platform State of the Union thing. Technically, no, I didn't. I, no. Right. Plus, I didn't. Anyway, I, guess I just to, want to talk about talking. the implications of Swift as it applies to development in general. Um, yeah. Because I think it is, it is a huge change. Because, I, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I should mention that I was primarily a web developer, designer, whatever. Um, and probably two, two and a half years ago, I started getting into iOS development. Um, two years? Really? That long? Probably. I mean, it was off and on for the first couple months. Wow. And it's really picked up over the last year for me because I, it was kind of like my, my weekend, like playing around yeah. time. Um, but I didn't, I wasn't working on that stuff outside of work, like, you know, hardcore as I've been over the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and even at work over the last year, I've been doing some stuff. But I kind of started getting my, my feet wet in it. And um, a big, you know, big hurdle was learning Objective C. Because it's so different than anything else out there, and it's ugly, you know, when you first see it. You, <laughs> yes. you, you hit a point when you kind of, like, see the Matrix and you start to love it and uh, yeah, I, I, and love what it does for you. You can tell that it happens, but it's just... Oh, it definitely happened. happens, and, and you fall in love with it. But Swift kind of throws that all out the window. The one thing it keeps that I saw, like, the one major thing that it keeps is all the named, per, uh, named parameters in function calls. Oh, with the and and spaces and everything? No, so you give your parameter a name, call, and type... Um, you still can do that so that you, don't you have can to, name though. your parameters. You don't have to, but you can. But you have to, okay. The one thing that I saw is that you have to name your return value, uh, name your return value type. Like, yeah, define with your a type dumb, return. dumb, ugh, the stupid arrow. The thing I hate most from writing PHP code, the little hyphen right angle bracket, the arrow, the dumb arrow. Uh, no. It defines no. the return statement. No, it's not made, no, it doesn't work the same way in PHP, though. It's not No, the no, same it doesn't. Reason. I just hate typing it. Oh, My problem why? isn't the actual arrow itself. It's just annoying to type. I don't know. I, I, I got used make to writing t- dot syntax or like no but syntax. you don't like have to shift. C. You don't have to shift to, uh, to access the I know you don't the, have to shift. That's not my problem. I'm just saying it's really <laughs> Oh, annoying. you do have to shift. You have to shift for you the bracket. You have to shift for the angle bracket. But anyway, that's, it's so, that's such a dumb thing to get so mad here's about. So the only reason I disagree with you is because of CoffeeScript. Uh, I don't write that much CoffeeScript, but CoffeeScript uses uh, skinny arrow, so one dash. Yeah, that's right. And then a bracket or uh, equal sign, fat arrow to uh, bind to like do a different kind of scope i guess uh to to kind of gloss over it so i'm kind of okay with that because of coffee script and someone I'm not like it... i'm not gonna not write it <laughs> i'm just saying that it's like it's kind they, of they took an ugly language <laughs> that was horribly like you, it was terrible to scan uh-huh. and you know the weird thing where you line up parameters with the colons and all that weird white oh, space yeah. and they made it look a lot like the ecmascript based languages 
Right. Plus, like, sort of Ruby-ish in some places. Yeah, and uh, JavaScript-y. Too. And javascript and Like, they, they, it seems like they said... This is the part that I think is, is really interesting. It seems like they took a step back and, and said, what are the biggest um, hurdles for people to get into iOS development? Because there's yep. a massive amount of people who are into web development and all that that haven't made the switch over to native development. And it's look, it looks like they took a step back and realized that just the plain old look of Objective-C mm-hmm. scares a lot of people away because it looks a lot different. There's these weird M and H files and... There's all that kind of stuff. That's a huge. That's a huge difference for me. And, and just, it, yeah, it they seems took that. Crafty. Yeah, no, and they and they took that and they said, let's rewrite it. And it seems focused on, honestly, it seems focused on web developers, people that were writing either JavaScript or Ruby or even PHP, and mm-hmm. and it made it um, a little bit more familiar to them, so they can at least read through this and and understand what's going on. And and that was the biggest thing I noticed learning Objective C was that it was not an intuitively readable. Um, language. So I, I had, you know, I'd been programming for a couple of years, but I could not read Objective C code when I started because it was so odd the way that you call messages and all that. Mm-hmm. But they've taken it and they've made it something that's scannable and readable by anyone who know yeah. who knows, you know, some other language. Basically, I think my excuse for not learning Objective C this whole like the last three years has been that it's been I can't I can't think in this language. I can I can tell that even if I work really hard at it. It will be so much harder for me to think in this language that I will jump back to Ruby because it's just so much easier for me to think. Yeah, and it's be, a comfort level thing, right? Yeah. And it's the same for English. So I, I'm French. I was going so to bring that up. That's it's exactly what you did. You know, yeah. learning. And I do. English. So I still do that. Like with my best friend. My best friend is French as well, and he speaks English too. He's bilingual too. We somewhat sometimes have little bouts of fun where we speak French, but it's just so inefficient and tedious to to carry a thought, a simple thought in French that it's just exhausting. So we switch back to English and then stuff just rolls off the tongue. And it's so what you just said, I think uh, in Ruby is known as the principle of least expect, uh, least surprise. And not just in Ruby, I think it's just object object oriented languages. And that's, that's one thing that to me, it's the learnability of the language by inference just by looking at it and being like, "Oh, I can guess what it's doing." You understand a construct. You understand. You know. Right. You know. You don't understand the exact syntax or anything like that, right. or you know, even names of classes and things like that. But you mm-hmm. understand the, the constructs API. that you're seeing, right? So and that's a huge to... difference. That's it's massive difference because it's just a little bit of familiarity to let you, you know, immerse and figure out what's actually happening in code, which is always the problem when it doesn't look familiar to you. You you spend you spend so much mental effort on figuring out how the code is structured versus what it's actually saying. Yep. And, and I feel like this, you know, just this simple change, though it's not simple, um, you know, just changing the, the way that people can get into iOS development brings uh, a lot of web developers within the realm of iOS development. And I think that was their biggest thing to go after was there's all these people out there who are, you know, avid developers and people who love development and are doing all of this stuff elsewhere. And they're not making the jump over to iOS in huge numbers like you would think. And they kind of are taking down the barrier to entry on that. Because now people can come in and they understand, you know, the way the code looks. So all they have to do is really learn the frameworks and the different things to use and, the di- and Xcode. And right. APIs, yeah, it's just like picking up a new, I don't know, it's even like picking up Laravel the first time, right? Mm-hmm. I knew what that language looked like and I, I could read that already. So all I had to understand was the, the structure of it, basically. Yeah. It, so 
I've been thinking for the last two or three years because a bunch of solutions. So there was so this, it's kind of interesting to think about the history of it though. At uh, at Apple for years, I don't know how many years, um, there was a team working on something called Mac Ruby. I was I, I'm pretty sure it was led by uh, Laurent Sansonetti, which is a French guy who's a French guy who uh, left Apple. I think two or three years ago, he left Apple. He was a Rubyist, and his he wanted Apple to eventually use Ruby and compi- yeah, compile Ruby down to C code, Objective C code or C code, the same way Objective C, you know, this basically have this higher level, easier to understand language that already exists and people already love and make it possible to program in that language and using the same APIs, the Cocoa, the Cocoa and Cocoa Touch APIs. Uh, you could do a little bit of iOS development with it, but it wasn't great. And but you could do a lot of Mac development, and uh, people used it. But you know, it's kind of like uh, everybody's kind of calculating, thinking, uh, "How long is are they going to support this thing?" So everybody's kind of like you know worried. So it wasn't hugely adopted, and then he left. And for a while, you know, they, there seemed like for me around the time I remember thinking, "Oh, so that means that Apple just doesn't want to do this. Like they don't want to make the language easier to learn." And uh, I think a year after, after not saying anything, Sansonetti just released Ruby Motion, which uh, was a mobile-oriented, iOS-oriented version of Mac Ruby, basically that allowed people to write in Ruby for uh, to, using a, a, an API that had parity, really great parity with the Cocoa Touch APIs. So you could, and a bunch of people like the Basecamp, uh, the Basecamp iOS app is built like that. Um, Nick Waranto, a Ruby developer, went to you know went to Basecamp and he started working on this. And he's been there's a bunch of people who were Rubyists and were excited the same way you were t- describing, but they they were like ah, and they tried Ruby Motion and there was a lot of pessimism. And I, I know at Code School we we uh, we talked with Laurent uh, I think two years ago or a year and a half ago, and he was like you guys should do a course and everything, and we're like ah. Yeah, but what if you know? What if you fail in a way? It was kind of mean, but it was like, we, yeah, it sucks though because we we have to commit to it. Like if right. we make a, a course, we have to support the course and make more courses. And if the language disappears, it's like yeah, it's all of, it's a kind of wasted effort at that. It's point. a huge yeah, right. Yeah. So we didn't do it, and we felt bad because we love like it worked out. Like a lot, a lot of people, it kept going for for a while. I don't know what's going to happen to it now, but it seems like what happened was. Apple basically redirected all efforts towards Swift. And they were like, we're not going to do this Ruby thing because I think it's a, com- a compiler issue, I think, because uh, it's really complicated. But basically, the way the way the language compiles down to uh, machine language for, yeah, machine language, uh, there's a lot of work there to, to basically optimize things. And it seems like Swift is using... I I may have misread this, but ASM.js. So it's using it's using LLVM, which is um, so C uses CLang Clang to compile down to machine code, I think. And then LLVM became a sta- like replaced a bunch of stuff on the Apple operating system, like on on OS X, became the de facto compiler even for Ruby. Like Ruby had to switch to using that one because that was the system default uh, with Xcode a few years, I'd say two years ago. And it seems like they were just basically paving the way to this thing by doing that because it uses LLVM. It uses a bunch of optimization that make it faster than Objective-C, which is the thing that blew my mind. Because, you know, 
anything like this, I would have expected, okay, we'll pay a price for being abstracted and higher level like Ruby does. Like we, we were okay with being slightly slower on some stuff. We'll figure it out because it's just a joy to write and so much easier and more productive. Yeah, that was the kind of crazy part of, of their introduction of it was the fact that it's not just an abstraction of Objective-C. Yeah. The fact that it's an entirely new thing. Like, I don't even understand if they... I guess they rewrote everything. Like, is all of UIKit rewritten to, to use Swift? Like, I don't know. That's the thing I still don't understand is, is the extent at which Swift is done. Like, is it done now and they rewrote everything? Or is it, you know, here it is to start using for simpler things and also to get people interested in development for their platforms... And in two years, it will be done, done, and replace Objective-C. I don't know that part yet. We'll have to figure it out. Well, they said they could, that you could, you could use uh, C, well, Objective-C code and Swift code in right. the same code base. So right. I'm guessing, like, unless there's like a that, big that, asterisk. Right, but does that mean that everything has been re-implemented? Or are there some things that are just purely abstractions? I don't know that yet. You know no, what I, I mean? Th- like, right. I, don't, I don't know how far they went with it yet. I wouldn't be surprised if they rewrote everything. And this has been in the works for, you know, forever. To, to be honest, even though like we 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 they, they just happened today, right? So, so this is kind of silly to like think about it. But I think uh, what you're thinking of, I think it happens on on the compiler side. I think yeah. LLVM is the the answer to that, or whatever ASM right. role whatever is in it. I think on. the two languages go in the same shoot, and this is where the API integration happens. It's probably stupid if you know what what you're talking about. When I don't, I obviously don't because I don't use Objective C that much. But yeah, it. So for the first time, I, I was supposed to go to a concert. I was working, I had a like Monday, and I was supposed to go to a concert of one of my favorite bands ever. A uh, little exaggeration, but one of my favorite <laughs> bands. And I just, fuck it. I just, I was start, I started watching the keynote. I was supposed to prepare a pod, another podcast. I was, a bunch of stuff. I just dropped everything. And it was two and a half hours long. Really long keynote. But... Aside from Swift, it was already interesting. Yeah, it was, and then I mean, stuff. it was crazy the amount of stuff they packed in that. Yeah, there's it's just insane amounts. Like that, they covered so much. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting because it's a lot of stuff that isn't. It's kind of the first year in which the biggest, um, I guess, like the biggest things users are going to notice are not necessarily by Apple, but are by the third-party devs that use these things that they've introduced right but it's this, it's a continue uh, not a continuum it's a it's an uh i don't have the word it's an ecosystem <laughs> ecosystem the the very fact that swift exists so i i wanted to bounce on that really, really briefly is you're right for a while i don't think apple needed to have a better language because they had the excitement of ios yeah, they, they and had the buy-in iPhone. already they right had buy-in yeah. they had actually they had money because the few early adopters, as far as developers uh, go, that were Mac, either Mac developers or, or brand new iOS developer who were just like super eager and they knew everything. But there were so few of them that they made a bunch of money because so so many people wanted to make iOS apps, but there were so few people to do it. So huge salaries, you know, like it seemed like it was like that, a, a gold rush. I don't, I don't know right. if the reality was like that. A bunch of apps didn't make that much money, but there was a bunch of like successes and stuff like. And now there's, I don't know, they, they, it's a billion dollar industry. Just iOS, just isolated from anything else. But now they seem to be like there's the the, the Android competition, obviously because they mentioned it heavily in the in the keynote. There's uh, you know other stuff, but in general, as you said, uh, web devs 
now it's kind of evened out. Like you can make money to make web apps and stuff like that. And you don't like, it's not like it's going to be uh, rags to riches uh, going from a web development gig to an iOS gig. But if you make the barrier to entry so low, now people who would have worked on, would have not developed an iOS app because it was just, uh, that one might just say, fuck it and just do it because yeah. it's so familiar. And then they just have to learn the APIs, which regardless, they would have to learn and they're probably aware right. of. Right. It's it. just like picking up a new library in whatever language you right. like, you know? So yeah, I, I so, don't know. The thing I tweeted right before we started, I don't know if we want to wrap this up soon, but I feel like this might be a good way to end it. Not to say mm-hmm. that I've, I'm a genius or thought of something amazing, you but are, you are I just, I was watching some videos of stuff and, uh, and realize that Swift is to developers this year, yeah. as iOS seven was to users last year. Like it is, it mm-hmm. is an entirely fundamental shift in how things are done, mm-hmm. and it's might not be necessarily apparent right now how good it will be for us, but it is something that needed to happen, and they needed to rip the bandaid off and get us moving in the right direction. So it, it might have the same growing pains as iOS 7 had, right? And, and we saw them yeah. make improvements month after month on iOS 7, much more so than we had in all of the previous six operating systems. We had, we, I think we saw more like smaller kind of tweaks in the interface throughout iOS yeah, 7's life, life cycle. Beta, and, and I feel like they'll style, have to yeah. do that. Yeah, and I feel like they'll, they'll have those similar problems with Swift. They might have some of those things, but you know, in the pains. long run, how much better off will we be by having something that's faster to work with and faster in execution? No, well, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I just think it's really interesting to to see how this is going to play out for people getting into it now. I think pre so like during the beta phase of iOS seven, there was a lot of excitement, and the reality of it uh, of it hit, and we had like mixed feelings. Like a bunch of people had mixed feelings because it changed their flow so much. But here, it's not. It doesn't see. Although you said like maybe they're going to discontinue uh, Objective C, it seems like it seems unlikely they'll completely dis- discontinue it for at least like three years or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's, Maybe a, it's, a, ways be aggressive it's a ways off. It's a ways off. Right, so you don't have to kind of kind of like you didn't have to update your iOS app. <laughs> right, for, uh, you're just going to get 7. left in the dust in about a year right. or two. Right, and then people will develop things probably a lot faster because they don't have to deal with all that cruft. Yeah. It's just going to be, a, it's a really interesting shift in how things will play out and I don't know if... Yeah, I think it's obviously going to be for the better. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to see people that aren't necessarily, you know, bread and butter Mac and iOS developers get into it now well, that their, you know, their their barriers lowered. I want to really bad, which is really weird because I I'm the kind of person who likes to like do the whole pie, like not just like a little piece of it, like little ingredients and and iOS apps to me are like obviously an extension of the experience of a website or, you know, there, there's something there. there. There could be functionalities of a thing that I'm going to build even for code school that would not just for like, you know, the, let's make an app that allows us to see things that you already seen, but things that you wouldn't do in the, in, in the, and now like those ideas don't feel like, ah, oh, well, I can't do that because it's just the, the tax I would have to pay would be, well, I have to take a huge chunk of my knowledge and reduce it and then add another chunk for at least for a few months while I'm learning this thing. No, yeah. I'm, I'm, I was jumping on the, I think a lot of people were doing that. Like there was a bunch of jokes, like people going like, yes, uh, three years, uh, I have three years of experience in, in Swift and stuff like that, <laughs> which got really old really quick. Yeah. And everybody yeah, made that joke. Third, yeah. third or fourth tweet in right. five seconds. 
Exactly. But then but then I saw genuine excitement from from people from all sorts like JavaScript developers, Ruby developers, Python developers, a bunch of developers who were like, "Yeah, it's great, but you know what? I'm happy here." Now are like, "Ooh." Yeah, like it's just it's just a level of intrigue that that they couldn't have struck up otherwise. So I, I think it was a really good idea just even, you know, not even from workflow of current developers, but to get to garner new interest. In a time when people are saying, like, you know, what's what is the future of the app store and can you make money there? And there's all of that talk going on of like how does that happen and all that, but the fact that they were able to do something that, that boosted their interest of developers mm-hmm. or seemingly will, I don't know if it has yet or anything, but but yeah. I'm sure that oh, the has. fact that there's this kind of reset in the language that we're using. Obviously, you know, if you worked with Objective C stuff, you'll have familiarity with the environment that others won't, but now it's kind of a level playing field for at least the next, you know, little while here while while everyone shifts to using Swift. Hmm. I don't I don't want to end it on this cuz th- there's this this tweet from uh Craig Hockenberry from uh Icon Factory. I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think Icon this is Factory. the one you just tweeted back uh, about, about yeah. yeah. So he said and I think you you retweeted him or something like that. He said, "You're all thinking about mobile and desktop right now, but I guarantee you that Swift is going to shake things up server side too." I have, that seemed like an interesting thought. And then I thought about it and I was like, well, Swift is not open source. And I'd be surprised if it is. I'd be really, really surprised. I don't think it ever will be. I don't think it ever will be. And I don't expect it to be. It's not like, oh, how dare you make a language that's not open source. Like that, there's Microsoft, there's Adobe. Well, less so now, but there's Microsoft, there was Adobe, and there's Apple. And they make closed source language tools and languages that they maintain uh, with a huge problem for me for actually a huge problem for me in general is the fact that I have to beg Apple through a a 20 year old bug report tool to get anything like to report any critical or not like a bug in their language. I'm not even talking about their libraries or the, the APIs. Like if I find an objective C bug, something that's like a security hole or something like that. Uh, I'm sure they have disclosure pipelines that accelerate the process, but yeah, if there's something wrong with the language, especially at Swift being so young at this point, there's going to be. I mean, Ruby's 15 years old and like we keep finding little little issues. Yeah, but I happens. mean, you could say that about about the iOS environment as, as a whole too, or macOS even. I mean, you know, there was GoToFail that existed there and that was compromising your app's Right. Um, at, a, at a lower level. So it, it's not like the fact that they're not open source is going to, um, I guess, being open source isn't going to fix all of their bugs anyway, though it may fix no. them faster. There no, are no, still no. going to be bugs. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily uh, an argument against it. I, and I don't even know if, if, you know, this running on a server side would mean that you have a, a whole stack up and running right. or kind of like they showed that graphic of what CloudKit is and how it takes certain things off of your plate and lets you worry about others. Right. Like, what if Swift on the server side was much more limited, and they, they figured out kind of lowest common denominator of what people need from a server, right? Kind of like 80-20 rule. Like, 80% Sounds of people like... only use a server for this thing. Right. So what if we made a way to make that easier? And the that other 20% like... that are doing crazy things, you go do it on your own. Use whatever the hell you want. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I feel like saying that it's going to be used on the server side isn't saying that you're going to have a full stack running, but... Right. Maybe Apple gives you an environment to do things, do certain sure. things, certain low level, or not even low level, but 
um, common, cruddy, common, common yeah. is a better word. Yeah, common yeah. things that people do with the, you know, syncing server or anything like that. Anyway. That actually makes sense. Like in that, so I think of it as Heroku. Have you have you ever used Heroku? Yes. Yeah. The platform is service for me. The the when I think of a Heroku, it's kind of GitHub in a sense. Is the same like GitHub has affected the way I work and the way all programmers, yeah, all programmers, most of programmers on on Earth, work with open source and like just in generally work, just the the, the flow of it, the 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 tool of it. Heroku in that sense is like for free. I can deploy. Without knowing, I can deploy an application, whatever it is. There's a lot of language, not just Ruby, PHP, Python, all that stuff. Java. <laughs> you, you, can, you can deploy it without knowing anything about the server. So to me, like the huge draw of iCloud here, the same reason why it's a draw to have your, your syncing, well, even if it doesn't work perfectly, but your syncing done by iCloud or your uh, photo backup done by iCloud or something like that, is that it's a huge problem that you can't afford to tackle. If you can, more power to you, John Gruber. <laughs> like Brett Simmons awesome. for the last like, right. nine months six, of his life. Six, right. Okay. It's an investment. And if you, if that's your core, core um, value-added feature, then just do that. That's fine. But I don't want to. I don't want to do sysadmin stuff. I just, I have one life and I decide not to shoot, like take it there. I feel like that, that could be like that. If they, especially that iCloud thing. Now on the, on the server side though, um, the way I don't see it, right, I don't see it beyond that. That's why when, when uh, I don't know what Craig Hockenberry meant. I guess he probably meant what you mean, which is basically... I don't know. Like I don't a, know if he does. A, I mean, I, I'm just saying that right. it just seems like that seems more of an Apple-y thing to do right. than, say, here's an entire back-end development service or, yeah, or a sense. platform. Here, like, it like, makes more sense to make it a smaller um, service that solves the common needs that they are obviously not doing well. You. You make a you make so much sense because I just realized you said that the the way Apple does it because that's exactly that they don't make hardware that runs in they don't make software that runs anywhere everywhere yeah. they make software that runs on their platform because they know the variables so yeah they, it would make no sense for them to say hey just uh, here you can license this uh, this uh, Swift server right <laughs> and I, yeah, let, I don't um, know, whatever like Mac Mini Colo or whatever but right just the fact that they could be listening to everyone saying. I would use iCloud, but there's this one thing that doesn't get my use case right or anything like that. Like, I'm sure there's they're listening to the people saying iCloud wasn't perfect for me because of this one very small thing, mm-hmm. and they can figure out a way to make it. Um, they can figure out a way to make something that is covers all of those common use cases with enough flexibility to customize it, mm-hmm. but not have to worry about the entire syncing service like Brent Simmons and the guys at Vesper did. Yep. Yeah, I kind of like the idea of like having visits with you. <laughs> Sounds like it's, you're a doctor. It's really creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of creepy. It's really creepy. But in yeah. French, it's not. It's just like... I know, you know but I'm, in, I'm not in France. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm in France and I just giggled out loud and it's 2 a.m. So uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you, buddy. You too, man.